the development of brotherhood as a prerequisite for redemption. When we read about brothers in the Torah, we find that the concept of brotherhood as we understand it today took much time and difficulty to emerge. The first brothers we know about are Cain and Abel. Cain represents within him the great will to receive oneself alone, the large vessels of receiving which came from the poison of the snake that Adam and Eve took into themselves when they ate from the tree of knowledge. Abel, on the other hand, represents the vessels of unconditional giving. These two elements are completely opposed to each other, and the story of their brotherhood ended in tragedy. And then the Torah begins to relate the stories of Abraham and his family. And the first set of brothers we come across are Yitzhak and Yishmael. Yitzhak carries on the tradition of Abraham in his belief in God. But Ishmael separates, goes his own way and forms a separate nation. We find that a similar division takes place between the children of Yitzhak, Yaakov and Esau. Yaakov remains in the framework of holiness, carrying on the tradition of his fathers, Avram and Yitzhak. But again, Esau goes his own way, and from Esau comes many other nations. As we learn from the Zohar, the individuals mentioned within these pairs are in fact aspects of the Yetzirah Tov and the Yetzirah as they appear as different elements within ourselves. The beginning of the contact with the framework of holiness, the Yetzirah Tov, which is the desire to give unconditionally to God and to one's fellow man, starts with Abraham, who is the Sphira of Chesed. From Avram come forth his two sons, Yitzhak and Yishmael. Yitzhak develops the framework of holiness further, in that Yitzhak now brings the large wills to receive that stem from the purpose of creation right into the framework of holiness. He restrains these desires and offers them up as a sacrifice to God. He begets Yaakov, who embodies within himself the middle line, the middle line combines elements both from Abraham and from Yitzhak together and gives rise to the desire to give in faith even when the light of God is shining and this is the full development of the will to receive for the sake of giving. But now we also have to consider the other halves. The brother of Yitzhak, Yishmael. We also have a Yishmael within us and this is the klipa of the right hand line. And it manifests as a part of ourselves which simply prefers to ignore the need to work on ourselves. It represents our laziness, our willing to sit back and not try, trusting in the ultimate mercy of God but without us doing any work. Yaakov's twin brother Esau is different. This element within us is definitely willing to work because it wants spirituality but it wants to get all it can get for itself. It wants to receive all it can in the physical world and in the world to come for its own self-gratification. From this, we can see why the Torah shows that in each pair of brothers, there was distance and separation. These causes of separation between the brothers are the same issues that we struggle with in ourselves. It's the difference between the desires of the soul, which wishes to be in with God, and the desires of the body, 
which wants to receive self-gratification. And we find these struggles within all of us. In each of the pairs of the brothers, one of the pair has the vessels of holiness, which align with the soul, and the other one chooses to express himself in the framework of evil, which aligns with the will to receive. And this actually is the fundamental reason why up until now, no brotherhood as such has emerged in the pairs that we've mentioned above. But now we come to the family of Yaakov. And here the situation is different. Yaakov begets the 12 tribes of Israel, the Shtemesrei Shiftei the 12 tribes of God. These are the 12 brothers whose names are destined to be inscribed on the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, in the service of the temple. All of them are destined to serve God in the framework of holiness. So, at a superficial glance at least, brotherhood should have been straightforward and easy. But we find in the Parshiot that tell of the relationship between Joseph and brothers, it was anything but. In order for the brothers to gain the attribute of brotherhood, they first have to lose it. The Kabbalah as taught by Rabbi Hudelev Ashlag teaches us that no light can be attained without the vessel for it. And what is a vessel? A vessel is a desire. And you can't have a desire for something if you already have it. So a desire first manifests as a lack. And first of all, the brothers have to discover that they lack brotherhood. Only then can they desire it. When the story of Joseph and the brother starts, they don't realize that brotherhood is an essential and important attribute for achieving the light of God. As we can see, they have no role model for brotherhood. They don't treasure brotherhood, and thus they lose it. The story opens with the relationship between the brothers. And we see that the brothers place much emphasis on their status in the family. They consider the mothers, Leah and Rachel, to be of higher status than the otherwise of Jacob, Bilhah and Zilpah, who initially were the handmaidens of their mothers. And thus they consider the sons born to the handmaidens inferior. They tend to forget that they all have one father. Different issues arise, and this is how the Torah tells it. These are the generations of Jacob. When Joseph was 17 years old, being a shepherd, he was with his brothers with the flocks, and he was a lad, and he was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought evil tales about his brothers to their father. And Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was a son of his old age and he made him a fine coat of colours. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers so they hated him and they could not speak peacefully with him. And Joseph dreamed a dream and told his brothers and they continued to hate him. And he said to them, listen now to this dream which I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the midst of the field, and my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and your sheaves encircled it and bowed themselves down to my sheaf. 
his brothers said to him, Will you reign over us? Will you govern us? And they continued further to hate him on account of his dreams and on account of his words. And he again dreamed another dream, and he related it to his brothers. And he said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. And the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were prostrating themselves to me. And he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Will we come, I, your mother and your brothers, to prostrate ourselves to you to the ground? So his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in his heart. So what do we see? We see that Joseph, the son of Rachel, is consorting with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. He brings to his father reports of the brother's bad behaviour. His father openly demonstrates his special love for Joseph by giving him a coat of colours. This was almost certainly in those days a coat of techelet, blue, which symbolises priesthood or kingship. And then on top of it all, Joseph himself has dreams foretelling that the other brothers will all bow down to him. Unwisely, he recounts these dreams to the brothers, knowing full well that they dislike and hate him. Uh, the Torah itself testifies they could not speak peaceably to him. So we certainly see that brotherhood isn't present there. And then the story begins. Israel calls Joseph to him and tells him to go and see how the brothers are faring as shepherds in Shechem. And on the way, Joseph wanders in the field. And this is what the Torah actually says. Then a man found him, and behold, he was straying in the field, and the man asked him, saying, What are you looking for? The Zohar tells us that the man was in fact the angel Gabriel. And he said, I'm looking for my brothers. Tell me now, where are they pasturing? That is to say, Joseph is looking for brotherhood, to be one with his brothers. And he's maybe the first to voice the lack, which has not yet been apparent to the others. But the man said, they've travelled away from here. Rashi, the commentator, says, they have removed themselves from brotherhood. And we know what happens next. The brothers see Joseph coming from afar and plot to kill him. There are, in fact, different commentators who find some justification for this decision of the brothers. It's possible that the brothers interpreted the dreams as some sort of idol worship. And it's certainly possible that they interpreted the gift of the coat of kingship as referring to kingship over them. What is certainly clear is that even if these possibilities actually had been real, they don't seem to have given Joseph an opportunity to have explained himself. They just seem to have judged him without mercy. And this, in fact, is the cause for the guilt that they attached to themselves 22 years later, when, as they said, they saw his distress and they didn't listen to his cries. So whatever legal justification there might have been for a case against Joseph, there was no compassion, no brotherly love evident. Nevertheless, the Zohar actually says that the Shekhinah was with them when they sold Joseph into Egypt. This is a very surprising statement. Since the covenant made with Abraham decreed, you shall surely know that your seed will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, 
and they will enslave them and oppress them for 400 years. So from this statement, we can certainly accept that there was a need for Joseph to go down to Egypt. But did it have to happen this way? And this is really, I think, my question about this whole story. One can certainly imagine Joseph being sold into Egypt in a different way. Let's say, for example, that he chanced upon a band of Ishmaelites who met him before he met the angel Gabriel, who met him before he reached his brothers. And against his will, he was carried off to Egypt. In many ways, the same results might have occurred. He could have been sold to Potiphar, been thrown into prison for the alleged crime with Potiphar's wife, brought out of prison to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, become second in command over the whole of Egypt, and still would have been able to sell his brother's food when they came down to Egypt to buy corn. In this circumstance, the only difference would have been that the brothers would not have felt guilt or shame on meeting Joseph. Neither Joseph nor the brothers would have realised that their relationship was faulty and needed fixing. Neither would they have realised the need for unity despite their differences. So why did God want it to take place, the descent into Egypt, through the brothers' crime of kidnapping? And the answer is, is that the Zohar teaches us that no light can be manifest without the vessel for it. Only by Joseph and the brothers themselves discovering their own lack of compassion for each other, discovering their own lack of the attribute of brotherhood, could brotherhood actually be gained. In the intervening 22 years, before the brothers met Joseph again, both sides did tshuva. They repented. Everybody had suffered from the actions that had been taken. The Zohar teaches us that Yehuda lost his position as king among the brothers because he was the one who had suggested selling Joseph. And when the other brothers saw the desperate grief of their father, they complained to him. And they said, we only did it because you told us to. Yaakov refuses to be comforted. And the brothers had the pain of seeing both their father and their grandfather Yitzhak grieve. The Shekhinah, the Holy Spirit, leaves Jacob. Meanwhile, in Egypt, after some years of serving as Potiphar's chief servant and managing his household, Potiphar's wife tries to tempt Joseph, and when he refuses to be tempted, gets him thrown into prison, where he stays for 12 years. During this time, Joseph realizes that everything that happened is happening by the hand of God. And it's clear that he learns forgiveness. We see this because when Pharaoh takes him out of prison to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, he emphasizes again and again that all that happens comes from God's hand. Finally, there's a famine and the brothers come down to Egypt to buy food. Joseph recognizes them, but they do not recognize him. Joseph remembers his dreams, and he also tests them to see what their behavior is between themselves. This is what the Torah says. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed about them, and he said to them, You are spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. 
And they said to him, no, my master, your servants have come to buy food. We're all sons of one man. We're honest. Your servants were never spies. But he said to them, no, you've come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, we, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is with our father today, and one is not. And Joseph said to them, This is just what I have spoken to you, saying, You are spies. With this you shall be tested by Pharaoh's life. You shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him fetch your brother, and you will be imprisoned, so that your words will be tested where the truth is with you. And if not, as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest, your one brother will be confined to your prison, and you go bring the grain for the hunger of your households. But bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified, and you will not die. And they did so. Now, the brothers could have taken this behaviour of the rule of Egypt as being, you know, just nasty behaviour on behalf of the officials to indigent strangers. But they did not. This is what they said. And they said to one another, Indeed, we are guilty for our brother. We witnessed his distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. This is why this trouble has come upon us. They now relate what's happening to them, to their own lack of brotherly love and regret which they had done 22 years ago. That's how much it was preying on their minds. And they did not know that Joseph understood for the interpreter was between them. So Joseph has heard and he understands that they now see for themselves a lack of brotherhood. But that alone is not enough for him. Understanding is one thing. What about action? Will they act the same way again or will they repair their actions? He tells them to bring Binyamin down to see him. Why Binyamin? The Holy Ari tells us that the attribute of Joseph is the Yesod of Zerampin from the aspect of the light. He actually has the Svirah of giving light, of giving sustenance, of bringing redemption to the Shekhinah, to the Malchut. Binyamin is his counterpart, also shares the same Svirah, the Yesod of Zerampin, but Binyamin is the other half, so to speak. He's the vessel for the Zerampin. So he needs Binyamin to provide the means by which he can give this light of brotherhood and deliverance to the brothers. So this is why he's sending for Binyamin. Yaakov doesn't want to let him go. But the famine is still bad in the country. And after a bit, the food runs out. Ultimately, the advice of Yehuda prevails as he makes an extraordinary act of self-sacrifice. And Yehuda said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we will get up and go and we will live and not die, both we and you and also our young children. I will act as guarantor for him, for my hand you can demand him. If I do not bring him to you and stand up before you, I will have sinned against you all my days. All my days? Rashi says, 
all my days in this world and in the next world. Look what Judah is promising. So Judah takes the concept of brotherhood and shows us the extent to what it can really mean. I'm willing to stand in my brother's place. I don't see myself as more worthy to live than he is. I'm even willing to sacrifice myself for him. This is the extent that Yehuda now is seeing brotherhood. And it's not a brotherhood with one of the children of his own mother. It's brotherhood with the brother of the one who he hated so badly that he was willing to sell him into Egypt. That's a huge change. That's huge. So it's with this new concept of brotherhood that Jude and the brothers return to Egypt, taking Benjamin with them. But again, it's one thing to have the idea in one's mind. The question is, can we carry it through into action? And that's the real test. And this is what Joseph tests in the next part of the story. When Joseph sees Benjamin with the brothers, he weeps. But he restrains himself, wipes his face. He doesn't want the brothers to know. And he gives them in presents and gives them a meal. But when the meal is finished, he commands the steward over his house to place his silver cup in Benjamin's sack. And then after the men have already left on their way, he sends the steward after them to find the cup. And of course, the cup is found in the sack of Benjamin. The steward says to the brothers, okay, you can all go free. I'll just take the one in whose sack the cup was found back with me as a slave. But now the men act differently than they did in the case of Joseph. They do not abandon Benjamin to his fate, nor do they falsely accuse him. They turn back and all of them offer themselves as servants instead of Benjamin. All of them. They all take the blame upon themselves, even though they don't really know where this is coming from. But Yosef refuses the offer, says no, only Benjamin needs stay. And again, Yehuda relates their present trouble to the sin they committed with Yosef. He says, God has found your servants iniquity. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and the one in whose possession the goblet has been found. And Yehuda said, what should we say to my master? What should we speak? How should we exonerate ourselves? God has found your servants iniquity. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and the one in whose possession the goblet has been found. But he said, far be it for me to do this. The man in whose possession the goblet was found, he should be my slave. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Joseph lets them off the hook. He tells them they're all free to go. Just leave Benjamin with him. That'll be fine. What are they going to do? Will they abandon Benjamin to a life of slavery as they'd acted towards Yosef himself 20 years ago, 20 years earlier? Then Yehuda approached him. Vigashe love Yehuda. And he said, Please, my lord, let now your servant speak something into my lord's ears, and let not your wrath be kindled against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh. 
He then recounts the whole history of Joseph's dealings with them from the first time they came down to Egypt, playing a special emphasis on the father's grief at the loss of Joseph and his fear of losing Benjamin. And your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two children. One went away from me, and I said, he's surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. Now if you take this one too away from me, and misfortune befalls him, you will bring down my hoary head in misery to the grave. And now, when I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, and his soul is attached to his soul, it will come to pass when he sees that the boy is gone, he will die, and your servants will have brought down the hoary head of your servant, our father, in grief to the grave. For your servant assumed responsibility for the boy from my father, saying, If I do not bring him to you, I will have sinned against my father forever. And so now, please let me stay instead of the boy as a slave to my Lord, and may the boy go up with his brothers. How will I go up to my father if the boy is not with me? Don't let me see the misery that will befall my father. Yehuda refuses Yosef's offer. He says no. He draws near to Joseph and tells him that he's now guarantor for Benjamin and wants to stay in his stead rather than cause further grief, even death, to his aged father. Now Yehuda displays the true qualities of a king. He takes responsibility. He demonstrates the quality of brotherhood and he's willing to give up his own life and become a slave instead of his brother. At last, Yosef is now convinced of the true tshuva of the brothers, the true repentance, their true unity. He's seeing that they put brotherhood first. And now all the brothers are truly united. And now he reveals himself to them. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him because they were startled by his presence. The Zohar teaches us that in this moment of revelation, Joseph is revealing the light of redemption, which actually he is the vehicle for. But this could not have been revealed without the prior creation of the vessel of brotherhood by Yehuda, primarily, and all the other brothers who make up the Shekhinah. This is actually an enactment of the unification of the Holy Blessed One and the Shekhinah, or the Zerampin and the Malchut. We can see how necessary is the attribute of brotherhood to create the vessel with which we will be able to receive the light of redemption. So the idea of brotherhood is now established in the family of Yaakov. As the children of Israel grew into tribes, the concept of brotherhood also widened. Until it widened to the extent of kol Yisrael arivim all Israel are guarantors for each other. In the book of Exodus, the Torah relates that when Moses steps out of Pharaoh's palace, he went out to his brothers and he saw their burdens. 
Now we see that Moses is upholding brotherhood with all the children of Israel. When he sees an Egyptian persecuting a fellow Israelite, he stands in his brother's stead and kills the Egyptian and thus becomes himself a fugitive and outcast. It was the development of this national brotherhood, of this unity amongst all the children of Israel, that allowed the children of Israel to withstand the servitude of Egypt and ultimately brought them to stand as one man with one heart at Mount Sinai to receive the Torah. May all of us learn the lesson of brotherhood. It's so desperately needed to bring unity to all Israel and thus together merit the light of redemption. Amen. This audio recording is brought to you from the Horus School, established by Yadita Cohen for the study of the Kabbalah as taught by Rabbi Yehudalev Ashlag. Studies with Yadida Cohen are available through the Nahorus School online. Details at www.nahoraschool.com or www.nahorapress.com.